Well, good morning. Welcome again. If you're new and spiritually searching or you're a longtime member, whether you're joining us online or you're in person, we're thrilled that you're here. Now, wouldn't it sound odd if you lost your charging cable again and you muttered under your breath, Kanye West, where the heck did I put it? Or if the Uber driver yelled, Sir John A. McDonald, when someone cut him off in traffic. I'm not sure how much of a claim to fame it is, but Jesus's name gets used as a swear word more than anyone else's in history. When I was 17, I went on a gap year to India, and I stayed with a number of Hindu and Muslim host families. And I'll never forget that one sunny morning when my Muslim host mother was sweeping the tiny kitchen and she asked me what Christians believed because she knew that I'd grown up in a Christian home. I was taken aback by the bluntness of her question and my cheeks quickly reddened as I realized I only had platitudes about being kind and wanting to help other people. Character traits that my host mother, she knew I had seen her family exhibit while we lived in close quarters. That fateful conversation led me on an intellectual journey that eventually became personal. When at university, I claimed the faith that my parents had shared with me, and I claimed it as my own. Is Christianity true? Is it worth making the effort during a pandemic to be part of a Christian community? Of getting back into long forgotten rhythms of getting the kids up on a Sunday morning or telling your friends you'll meet them in the afternoon. Jesus. We're starting a new teaching series called This is Jesus, looking at the most famous man in the world through the lens of that first century eyewitness writer, Mark. And this morning, with the kids physically back in school, some of us back in the office, some of you thinking the pandemic is winding down, others of you thinking we're probably halfway through. This morning, we're going to see two things about this Jesus. The big reveal and the big reversal. The reveal and the reversal. And what that could mean for our daily lives, seeker or disciple alike. Now let's quickly remind ourselves of the contours of Mark's eyewitness account that Handel just read for us. Jesus and his disciples have just come into the district of Caesarea Philippi. It's in roughly modern day, uh, the disputed Golan Heights. And he's leaving a trail of miracles and astonished gossip behind him. Jesus had been healing and people were impressed. But he'd also been teaching about the difference between words and deeds and loving your enemies and other hard to swallow stuff. And every now and then, he would stop and give the disciples a pop quiz to see how much they were paying attention. And he didn't hide his disappointment at their consistently low scores. Not surprisingly then, they're on edge when Jesus gathers them all around and he asks a much higher stakes question. Not about anything he's taught or done, but about who he is. Who do people say that I am? Phew, we can nail this one, they must have thought. John the Baptist, 
one of them helpfully answers, Elijah, someone else throws out, or maybe one of the other prophets. Because there's no great risk in repeating what they've heard, after all, of passing along a what other people believe. This is just a hive mind among friends, a staff meeting for the purpose of assessing Jesus' key performance indicators. You can almost hear the eagerness in their voices as they offer up the happy gossip that seems to mark Jesus out for greatness. You're Elijah. Which one is the right one, Lord? But he won't give it to them because what he really wants is their answer. And again, you can almost see their faces when he turns the question back on them. But who do you say that I am? Those who spent years with him, sleeping rough on hillsides, his closest friends, who've seen him perform wonders and teach audacious things. Who do you say that I am? Now, Mark doesn't record it. But I can just imagine the air thick with the immensity of that moment. A pause while they kind of looked at their feet and awkwardly picked their fingernails. Who knows how long that pause was before Peter broke the ice. You are the Messiah. A Hebrew word meaning God's chosen one, the long-awaited person who would usher in God's new world order, the Messiah the plan of God in a person. You gotta love Peter. He's a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. First to follow Jesus, first to try and walk on water, the first to say what no one else had quite figured out yet. You are the Messiah. And because Peter was right, Jesus immediately commanded all of them not to say a word. Because if the news got out now about his identity, he might get thrown in jail, and Jesus was just warming up. You are the Messiah. The big reveal, right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, starting us at the end. It's not like we're going to spend the next uh, two months here at St. Paul's looking at the evidence, weighing up pros and cons, and then spring the answer on you in November. Da-da! No. We're starting right at the end. You are the Messiah. I remember going with Tim uh, to see the movie uh, Titanic uh, when it first came out. We were newlyweds. We were living in Tokyo, Japan at the time. And I wondered, how on earth are they going to make this movie suspenseful? We like all know what happens, right? The boat sinks. We've just been given the answer. Why is Christianity true? Why bother with a Christian community in the midst of a pandemic? Why anything at all? Because who Jesus is, it matters. When true identity is revealed, it changes things. Darth Vader, no, I am your father. An identity-revealing moment that changed the course of Luke Skywalker's life. Not only his self-understanding, I'm Darth Vader's son, but also the course of his life. Let me give you a few examples of why Jesus' identity changes things for us. That if, to paraphrase the theologian Robert Jensen, if 
Jesus is whoever God raised from the dead, having before raised Israel from Egypt. If Jesus is in some mysterious way God in the flesh, or as I heard a teenager uh, explain, God in a bod, if Jesus is God's plan in a person, then think about this. Your identity in life will change. But unlike Luke Skywalker's, yours will become secure and loving. If your identity is rooted in your career, what happens when the bonus doesn't come or you get laid off? If your identity is rooted in being a parent, then what happens when the nest is empty? If your identity is rooted in one of our political parties, you necessarily have to demonize the opposition. And if your identity is rooted in being an inclusive and tolerant person, you will be bigoted towards anybody that you think has closed-minded. If your identity instead is rooted in Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as God's plan and person here on earth, then when the career falters or your children break your heart, which they will, you will not be crushed. And you're going to love your neighbors as yourself because God made you and God does not make trash. Take any suffering that you're going through right now. Your marriage is fraying. Not sure your small business will survive the pandemic. Or the anxiety meds, they're not working the way they used to. Whatever shape your sufferings are coming in right now, Jesus has walked that road of sorrows. He knows mental anguish loneliness, poverty, broken relationships. And you can pour your heart out to God, not holding back. And our sufferings, they're contained. They have like a fence around them. They can only go so far because we know we are not alone in them. And there is a promised great and glorious day when our deepest longings will be at and our sins and sufferings will not be able to consume us or devour us. So the big reveal, it secures and shapes our identity. But what about the big reversal? Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It is almost impossible for us, sitting here in the grandeur of stone, stained glass and stone, of the affluence and safety of Toronto, to imagine how, take up your cross, what it first sounded when Jesus said it. The cross was an excruciating instrument of torture and pornographic humiliation reserved for criminals. So gruesome a death that even the Romans, who were not the touchy-feely sort, even they eventually outlawed it. And the fact that Jesus, God's plan in a person, had just said that he was going to suffer this? That's disgusting. It's disgusting thought Peter. What are you talking about? Far from making it easier for people to follow him, Jesus wants to point out how difficult it is. 
And this is not an effective church growth strategy, especially in the middle of a pandemic. He tells people, do some sober feasibility studies, risk assessment analysis before you make a decision. And as usual, Jesus is loving us, refusing to only tell us what we want to hear. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, the man who's going to die on a cross. This is the big reversal that the Messiah, God's plan in a person, which those first century disciples would have assumed was coming in power and prestige, maybe even military might, to overthrow the evil Roman oppressors. That God's plan in a person, that God, you know, who made Orion and the Pleiades, you know, God responsible for Mozart and quantum mechanics, that same God would work out God's plan for the world through dying, naked for all to jeer at, rusty nails hammered through his hands. That's a reversal. That's a reversal of the way the world's supposed to work. The big reversal of the cross where God wins by losing, gives life by dying, and hope through despair, it marks everything else that Jesus does and says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Love your enemies. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. It's not helpful, Jesus. This cross-shaped life, a life marked by the big reversal of the cross, this is what it means to learn how to follow Jesus. And if you're spiritually searching today, I'm sorry we don't have more time to explore what's actually happening when Jesus dies on that cross. But do sign up for our upcoming Alpha course. American writer Frederick Buechner describes for us, however, what this cross-shaped life, what it looks like. And this will help us in our feasibility study of whether we want to follow. The world says, mind your business. Jesus says, there's no such thing as your own business. The world says, follow the wisest course and be a success. And Jesus says, follow me and be crucified. The world says, drive carefully. The life you save may be your own. And Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The world says law and order. Jesus says love. The world says get and Jesus says give. In terms of the world's sanity, Jesus is crazy as a coot. And anybody who thinks he can follow him without being a little bit crazy is laboring less under a cross than under a delusion. The big reveal and the big reversal, they cannot be separated from one another. We can only understand who Jesus really is as the crucified Messiah. And Tyler will be looking at that uh, in more depth next Sunday. Peter, he wanted a crucifixion-free Jesus, for which he was rewarded with the stinging, get behind me, Satan. And the only way to have in mind the priorities of God as followers of Jesus, and not simply as followers of ourselves or our bank accounts, is to know that the big reveal and the big reversal, they go together. 
There's no following Jesus without our identity and hope being cross-shaped, marked by sacrifice and suffering. This is a teaching so costly, so soul-rattling. And as the staff here work really hard to encourage people to come back to church, why offer up such an unpalatable start to the fall? Because I don't have anything else to offer. I can't offer you singing. I can't give you coffee and community after the service. I can't give you a large and bustling children and youth programs right now. It's all I've got. All I have is Jesus, crucified, dead, risen, alive. This is Jesus, and he wants you.